Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining us. Actually, I'm really excited about this particular podcast episode. And this is going to be one, a topic that we are going to record and podcast on um, with a variety of different people because I think it's really very valuable. The topic today is what advice would you give to a new parent just receiving an autism diagnosis? And then also at the end, we're going to talk about, okay, so um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Because um, for me, it's like two different things because um, you know, there's advice I would give to a new parent because of just um, just trying to help it help streamline things, lessen some of those struggles. But then, you know, it would be a totally different conversation if I could go back and talk to myself at two different times. One, if I could go back and talk to my um, autism self after Isaac's diagnosis, because that was 14 years ago. 14 and a half years ago. And then also even when I was starting to suspect that Caleb was also going to meet the criteria for autism, um, because I was an angry mom um, at that particular point. Um, In fact, actually, I did write um, autism a letter after Isaac or Caleb was diagnosed, or we started seeing the red flags for autism with Caleb. And so it was interesting going back and reading that letter that I wrote to just this ambiguous autism um, thing. And man, you know, if I could go back and talk to that parent too, I think, you know, it just would be an interesting conversation. So um, we'll start first with what advice would you give to that new parent just getting the diagnosis? So we'll just, like, go around the horn. How about that, Bonnie, since you're to my left? Okay. Um, First of all, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) I remember thinking um, it was the end of the world and how is, you know, I going to do this? My my son's never going to be able to do anything and live any sort of a life and um I mean you find out really quickly that you know that's that's just not it their life just looks different than everybody else's um and I think find out as much information you know when I don't know my kids were diagnosed years ago but um I know when I got the diagnosis it was like your son has autism goodbye and you're like, okay, where do I go from here? I also, too, Bonnie, they painted a very dismal picture for you. Like, you stand out in my mind as one of the people where the picture that providers mm-hmm. painted for you isn't what your reality is to this day, correct? Totally, totally. And so I think that the more information, you know, the more people you can, um, you know, get plugged into and stuff is really important because you're able to realize, oh, there is therapies, there is... Um, you know, whether you choose to do certain diets or whether you, there's so much stuff out there to try that um, you just really need to know all of your information and, um, you know, just be prepared what, you know, that your life is going to be different. It might be harder in some ways, but um, you're, you're going to be okay. Chevy, you're over there on the horn, so <laughs> you're on the corner. So. so we actually are, I guess, we're a year and a half into diagnosis. But I still think this is actually really right. interesting because a year and a half into the diagnosis, like you obviously have some advice that you would give people. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, I would say when we were first diagnosed, um, I feel like we were 
really overwhelmed. I was definitely overwhelmed. Um, a lot of crying and, you know, I have two boys and this is our girl. So I was like, okay, my daughter, she's going to be the one that's going to be the ballerina and the gymnast oh, and yeah. do all the things that I didn't do when I was younger. So when I just got that diagnosis that she was autistic, I was like, well, that whole dream is crushed. Yeah. Like that's gone. Like that's not going to happen. And then of course you think the things of like, you know, is she ever going to be a mom? Yeah. Is she going to have kids? Am I going to have a wedding? Yeah. You just the you wedding. literally go yeah. through all these things that you start processing. So I had a very hard time. Um, I feel like my husband and I had very different rates of accepting yeah. diagnosis. Like when they actually gave us a diagnosis, because I saw the regression at 18 months. Like she was typically developing, hitting all the milestones at a year. 18 months, I saw a big drop in a lot of, especially communication, um, a lot of tantrums. We started seeing like the head banging and other things developing. So I was like, uh, I know like, you know, toddlers, but yeah. like this is not, yeah. this is not what we experienced with like our other children. So I already had in my head red flags. Um, I unfortunately had that experience of a pediatrician telling me, She's fine. She's she, she'll develop when she, she develops. Yep, eighteen months. She'll bloom when she I blooms. Said, I'm really concerned about her communication, her speech, and they were like, "Oh, she's a third child. Her siblings are talking for her." Oh, if I had um, a nickel every time I heard that one, <laughs> honestly, um, she, you know, she'll get there. You know, I wouldn't be concerned at this point. Uh, that continued to like kind of degrade. So I actually, on my own, went and got a developmental screening done through my own work because I work for a. Um, in Seattle, I work, I'm a childbirth educator, so I work for an organization that uh, offered developmental screenings for families for free. So I went and did the screening independently. Interesting. Outside of my provider. Yeah. And this woman was like, to be frank, like, I cannot give you any type of diagnosis. That's not my job. But I can tell you there's a lot of red flags. And I'm going to be referring you guys to early intervention, like, to today. Yeah. Um, and it's like... I, I was shocked for the fact that I had to actually go out and you had to work so hard to get it out just to get this information. Yeah. So when we actually got the diagnosis, of course I was disappointed, but at the same time I was like, I'm not crazy. Yeah, right. Like I, <laughs> like I knew something was off, and it actually made me feel good knowing that, like, okay, now that we have a name for it, um, now you know what to I have Google. A job. Yeah, like you know I, what to I Google. Can, I know what to do now, and my husband is very much like, you know, oh, you know, let's not get too. <laughs> Yeah. Too caught yeah. up in pump the brakes. Thing, yeah, pump the brakes know? a little. He was very like kind of, you know, not really accepting it. He didn't really want to talk about it even very much. Yeah. And I was like literally on the phone calling a million providers, figuring out, oh, there's wait lists for things. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. Oh, uh, what's this? And I was watching a documentary like every other day about autism and um, all these different things and realizing, you know, People have very, very strong opinions on different styles of even therapies and things like that. And my husband was just like, whoa, like you're getting real intense with like all of this, you know? And I'm just like, well, yeah, because like for me, sitting in bed crying about this, yeah, like for me, that's not productive. Like, okay, I had my cry. Now I got to get the shit done. Yeah. So I can actually, for me, processing that whole diagnosis was like, I have to get something done. Mm -hmm. Something has to be locked in. I need to be yeah. helping her in some way. He was very much like, this is too much. Now, has he come around? He's definitely come around, like, for sure. Um, I actually, I love that you guys actually do your dad's night thing. I know he's not actually gotten a chance to attend one yet, um, but I will tell you, uh, one, I think, a kind of a breakthrough moment for, with us was um, last year we went and saw my husband's family in England. So we had this very long trans 
yes, international flight. flight. You know, we're stuck on a plane for nine hours with an autistic child. So, of course, you know, there was times that were nightmarish yes. <laughs> on that flight. Uncomfortable. And um, I actually was like, you know what, I'm just, I don't care. We're going to tell people behind us. I want to tell the people in front of us because, like, if she's kicking their seat because yep. she's, you know, whatever, Proactive. stimming and whatever, I don't want them to think I, we just have, like, the bratty kid that we're not dealing with. Um, so we kind of just told them, like, hey, just so you know, like, we're dealing with a, a special needs child and, you know, uh, she'll be probably a little louder than other kids. And, and they were super grateful, I think, that we told them that because their patience just went way up. Yes. And they were just like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about yep. it. Like, put their headphones on and they were good to go. Um, but we were actually walking her up and down the aisle, and uh, my da- uh, my husband was passing another gentleman, and he said something about autism, and he was like, oh, yeah, our son is actually autistic, and he's a teenager now, and they had this whole, like, 40-minute discussion in the aisle <laughs> this <point laughs> about their autistic children, and he actually was like, oh, my gosh, like, it I feel so much better. Yeah. Like, and he felt like I can actually start to kind of accept this and you know, lots of families are dealing with this. And I think that was kind of his turning point of like, oh, okay, I I get it. And the feeling that you get like, (laughs) oh, that actually made me feel better by finding this other gentleman that you could have this like, you know, conversation with. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, he's to the point of wearing, you know, he'll wear like the puzzle piece pin on his suit, like for events. And people are like, oh, what's that? You know, and he'll kind of just happy to talk about it. And He's actually met several coworkers that also have autistic children or family members that have autistic children. Um, so he's just, I think he definitely has accepted that a lot more. Um, but I guess as far as like advice for like my younger self, is just the fact that like you are going to have to fight. Um, you are going to have to put in the work. And I was very much like, I don't want to fight. Like, I just want someone to just lay it out for me and I'll do whatever. I don't want to have to, because I'm not that personality of like, yeah, I'm going to you yeah. and I'm going to. You know, the IEP thing, I will still say, is a little overwhelming for me because I just hear so many stories of, like, oh, we had to fight. And I think I was reading a message on Facebook. Someone's like, oh, I put the red lipstick on, like, telling them I'm ready for the battle. And I'm just like, there's going to be battles? (laughs) 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 Oh, wait, you mean we have to fight over this? (laughs) Chevy, I'm one of those people. I wear my power red during IEP meetings. I am not going to lie. I am that. And not that I'm expecting a fight, but, number one, I look fabulous in red. (laughs) And I want to look good going in there. Um, but also, too, you know, it is my power color. So I just, you know, again, I'm very nice. And I don't expect to fight, but I do wear my power red. So is that funny? Because yes. uh, that is, yeah. But in part, it is because it's an amazing color on me. And I acknowledge <laughs> that. I want to look good, at least. If I have to go to battle, I want to look good. So. So and it's not always a fight, just so yeah. you know. It's yeah. not. <laughs> Some IEPs no. are great. Yeah. Yes, it's year to year for us. Yeah. Like, I've had, you know, amazing years, and then I've had years where I'm like, okay, it looks like I'm having to find a new mm. shirt. Do you guys see, I post on Facebook what my new IP shirt's going to, mm. yeah, it's a Wonder Woman shirt, just <laughs> saying, oh, okay, so I see you're going to underestimate me. Let's do this, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, anyway, but. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not. But don't worry, because we are here as your mm-hmm. tribe yeah. to help you through that, because you there's know, a podcast for that. There's yeah. a podcast for that. <laughs> and then we're going to also capture on the other end of it so that you can be like, OK, so here's what happened. Um, so you can offer some fantastic advice for other people. So. Perfect. And then I guess the only thing else I would add is just the fact that you're going to have, I feel like your spouse could potentially accept the diagnosis on a different rate than you. Yes, and, and that is a podcast topic, too. And because that happens doesn't mean that, like, because I had this, I guess, moment of, like, well, you just don't care. Yes, right. Right? Yes. I'm the one who's giving my 100 and you're giving your whatever percent. 2%. No, yeah. just, <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, just I started, kidding, Simon. You know, just kidding. <laughs> once I started.
started actually like figuring out, okay, he's just actually just having a hard time. Yeah. Like I think he had a night where he was just like, You think I don't care? I just like I can't talk about this all the time or Yeah. I'll get too emotional. So Yeah. So true. No. I know. That is hard. And now we have our dad joining us and who always has David, you always has have so many gems of wisdom. So we're stop putting the pressure. Say something profound. Say something profound, David. In your broadcasting voice. Yes. I'm processing what I've heard from a, the male perspective. Um, a, be prepared. I'm not sure if you guys experience this. For your wife to blame herself for the diagnosis. Um, and since we're guys and we're fixers, I want to tell her, no, you can't do that. And I don't have the ability to help her process that, but just to try to give her information. You know, what did I do prenatally? What did I do? It's like, likely nothing. But... Your wife might go there, yeah. Um, and it's a tough thing because you know they haven't come up with any sort of uh, official cause or anything like that. And I'm not equipped to really, you know, do anything other than be there. I guess I can't fix it for her. Um, at the same time, Chevy, I had the same experience as your husband. My wife started seeing the markers at 18 months. I was in complete denial, and yeah, it took me not even not only after I got the diagnosis. So I guess my advice would be, try to find your support as soon as you can. I avoided doing so. Okay, I accept the diagnosis, but I'm not doing this. Okay, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing this. Even my involvement with the Isaac Foundation was limited because, as the more I got involved, the more it would be real. And, you know, there is an element of this. I want them to snap out of this. At some point, they're going to be cured. Um, so, and every guy is going to do that at their own rate because we can't fix it, which is frustrating for us. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would just tell the guys, be prepared for all those feelings and be prepared for that internal battle within yourself. Um, and then be prepared for the unexpected and... You know, I know we were using, there was a podcast recently about, you know, how it's characterized in the media, but one thing helpful came out of parenthood, which is the doctor in that show said, you know, why don't you stop trying to mold him how you want, meet him at his level, meet him where he is, and so he dressed up like a pirate or whatever, so, you know, every morning I have to go into Morgan's room at 8 a.m. and watch the next episode of a YouTube sensation called Baby Allen, because it was like her thing. <laughs> <laughs> But that's where I meet my daughter and we connect on, you know, so you're just going to find connection points that are a little bit different than you ever suspected. Um, that's all I got for now. Okay. Yeah. And we'll stick about, you know, because there may be something more profound that's going to come about because I have, you, know, you haven't gotten to me yet. Right. <laughs> I'm going to dazzle you, David. The most profound. Yeah. So and Michelle. So I would say, um, so Aiden was a very late diagnosis. We were nine, so he'll be 13 this month. Just a very few short weeks, which I hope that's a whole other podcast. Is teenagers oh, just yes. are rough. Oh, boy. But um, we had always had the ADHD blanket ship over him. And so I remember just when we got our diagnosis, and this was just a few short years ago, I was scared. Like, I feel very much like David said, I had a lot of guilt that I was going through. Like, what did I do wrong? At the same time I got the diagnosis, I was in the midst of a divorce, so that throws a whole nother mix into it as I was terrified, like, can I do this alone? How am I going to handle this and moving forward? What can I do to support him? Am I going to be able to support him? Like, 
how is this going to impact me working, you know, because I do work full time and how is this going to impact other kids in the household and is he going to have that normal lifehood, you know, am I going to watch him be able to have an apartment on his own, is he going to remember to pay bills, like, is he ever going to be able to hold down a job, like, I mean, just a million questions and it was the same thing, like, I just, I hyper-focused on everything, every little tiny news article I could find, Facebook report, like, internet link that popped up because you know every time you look something up on the internet it's going to be in your facebook feed a million times and i read every single article and i i just i don't think i slept for the first two years because it was just all i could think about and focus on and and you have to just have patience and forgiveness for yourself like that's got to be number one is that if you know, if, if it's a new diagnosis, like, it's okay to be scared, it's okay to be worried, it's okay to be nervous, it's okay to feel all of those things, but don't, don't hold yourself responsible for that, because you're going to have bad days. Oh, you're yes. going to have moments where you are going to completely lose your mind, you're going to have a nervous meltdown, you're going to yell at your kid when it's the wrong moment, and it's okay to have bad days. Not every day is going to be great, because as I tell my younger kids, tomorrow is a brand new day. Like, sometimes that looks like me having to leave work in the middle of the day because I get a frantic text from my son that's like, I need you to come pick me up right now. And I have no idea what's going until I show up and it's he left a Pokemon card at home and that has literally thrown his whole entire day into chaos. But I just, I got to know in those moments that he feels okay that I'm going to support him. And, and it's just having forgiveness for yourself, having forgiveness for the situation and just, it's okay to be scared. I think that probably would be my biggest advice is just, Keep taking it day by day and do your research and do what's best for you and your child at the end of the day because everyone's going to have advice. I promise you everyone's going to have advice on what you should do, where you should go, what you should do for your child, what therapies you do, what foods to avoid, what you could do to quote unquote cure it. And it's just what's best for your family and for your child. For sure. <clears throat> One of the things that I think um, you guys can probably piggyback on this too is, is that um, I mean, there's just so much advice I would give parents, but again, you know, this is not only just the world I live in at home, but then, you know, I come to work and then I get have, and I love my job in the sense that, um, you know, I get to wake up every single day and, um, and feel like at least in some way we're helping families. <clears throat> but I think that, you know, for advice that I would have for families is, um, is, is that, even when you feel like you're starting to figure it out, um, we still don't have it figured out, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Um, and I have, over the years, have come across, you know, parents that, you know, feel like, and, you know, we do, Isaac Foundation does a lot of parent training because that's one piece of advice I would give is, is that don't be afraid to admit what you don't know or be ashamed of what you don't know because you don't know what you don't know, really. And, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that – and I also encounter parents that will, you know, like jump into one of my trainings more like they're auditing because they want to be sure that I'm qualified to be teaching and helping families um, in their journey, la, 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 la. And, you know, because I – you know, I've been doing this for 16 years, and there's really nothing that I don't know about autism. And then at the end of the training, they're just like, oh, my gosh. Uh, I thought maybe I might find, you know, something, one thing that was like, oh, you know, that's that's interesting. But, like, I realized that everything that I thought I knew, actually, maybe I don't. Because when you're starting to talk about sensory responses and what you think, you know, I think that they're responding this way because of, you know, sensory. And actually, you know, I wasn't really understanding, uh, la, 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 la. And it's like, you know, and I think that was really powerful, too, because, again, 
you know, I have been an autism parent now for, you know, 14 years because, you know, Isaac would be 16 and he was officially diagnosed, you know, at two, even before that we had red flags. And there are still things that, you know, like I am learning and also, or it was like, whoop, man, did I bugger that one up. Just even at the Sense Fair Day, like we did, helped out Spokane Interstate Fair by, you know, helping, you know, like coach them on how to make the fair a more sensory, um, friendly day. Um, so focused on everybody else's, you know, sensory fair experience that I didn't notice that Caleb was underneath the table rocking and flapping and just, you know, like, uh, you know, um, scripting. And it was like, oh, man, flub that one right there. Because, you know, again, I'm so focused on other people and, you know, trying to, you know, troubleshoot stuff that I was just not looking for the own signs in my own child. So um, I think, you know, biggest thing is have grace um, for sure. And you guys touched on that one. And then for me is, again, I cannot overstress two things. One, um, never think that you have enough knowledge and training because there are still things you know I will be the first one to say I'm Holly at the Isaac Foundation one of my biggest areas that I am feeling like there's still so much for me to learn is IEPs um, and you know how to advocate for your child and what the laws are that protect our children and what is realistic and what is just really not realistic like I am still always learning on that and I think anyone who thinks that there is that they have like reached the pinnacle of their knowledge is you know crazy because there's just I am still always every single day I'm learning from parents and um, adding um, other just gems of knowledge and wisdom to um, you know that my memory bank so that I can hopefully try and pull it out and use it as a gem of knowledge for other parents and then the other thing, too, is, um, and I think you guys would agree, because we have talked on this podcast about how even just doing these podcasts has really been beneficial because it strengthens your tribe. And, you know, again, you know, finding your group of people that understand where you're at, and they may not be at the same place. They may just be first getting their diagnosis. Like, I still very, feel very connected to you, Chevy, and you've only been in this a little, a year and a half um, and, and yet then I also feel really connected to my parents who were doing this long before I, um, you know, was, knew I was going to be an autism parent. And, and that's the thing is that my journey early on when Isaac was first diagnosed, I had no friends that had a child with autism. Um, you know, we weren't really, we were on dial up internet back in those days because, you know, <laughs> I lived out in the country and like, you know, this whole like high speed internet thing was still like, uh, you know, I didn't have a smartphone. Um, so literally a cell phone was just in case of an emergency where I would then like, where's that cell phone? It might be in my purse. Like, is, do I need to charge it or will it power on? Like that was the thing. We weren't just constantly dialed into technology. And so I felt so alone. Um, and you know, the two, you know, the biggest difference I think about between, you know, my mom, when I was the mom of just Isaac and then, you know, being the mom of Caleb is my, my tribe of parents. And also too, my biggest support system isn't my family because unfortunately I don't have a tight, close-knit family, like, you know, extended family with siblings and parents that can be supportive of us. My family, my tribe are uh, my other autism parents. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, there are times where, you know, like we spend a lot of holidays alone because I don't have an extended family, but my autism tribe becomes your family and they're the ones that are willing to take in your crazy on a holiday and make it work and that is so nice to have that um, as an option um, but yeah so those would be the two things like piece of advice is you know 
Google is a powerful thing. So if you're ever embarrassed about something that you really don't know enough about, like just Google it. Like I um, even now will learn so much from just YouTube and, you know, reading blogs that other people have put out there on certain topics. Because, again, you know, I'm not even saying do I know probably more than, you know, a lot of people? Yes, I do. Just because I have the benefit of working with a lot of different families and have a lot of different um, providers even in my life. But, you know, I just feel like some parents are afraid to admit what they don't know and there's no shame in that um, and there's so many easy ways of finding out and getting educated or learning more um, and don't be afraid of that I guess would be what I'm saying what I would say like I don't know what you guys think about that but I think <clears throat> that you need to allow you really need to allow yourself to grieve too oh, because yeah. I did kind of uh this the same thing where it was like, I allowed myself like this two week time period. I was sad. I cried. Okay, now we're done. Do what you need to do. But then I didn't realize that I never actually, you know, really grieved on what this meant. And really, um, the way I, I felt, um, and I've talked to you, Holly, because I don't mean any disrespect to you, um, being that you really did physically lose your son. It, it, it to me felt like, um, my two children had died and then they gave me back these two children that look like my children but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with them these aren't the kids I connected with at birth this isn't the kid he doesn't want me to touch him he doesn't this I didn't even know what to do and the sadness and the depression that um you go through you know when you're toddler you know you go to touch them and they scream like you know your hands are acid to them I mean um, th these are hard things and um, if you are somebody who has um, multiple kids on the spectrum yeah you're going to go through anger why did why us again why did this happen again um, what did I do what didn't I do I mean it's just um, that grieving process is so important um, and um like Chevy was saying, like you, you know, your spouse pr probably isn't going to grieve at the same rate or the same time. And, um, and we, and me and Jason have not grieved the same way. And so that's, that, <coughs> that's been hard, um, trying to navigate through that. And the other thing is your expectations for everybody when you're all gung ho about it and you're on the autism train and you're going to do this and that, um, your expectations might be too much for everybody else too. And maybe just bottom line, they don't want to be a part of it. And you have to, I've always said, this is uh, the loneliest journey that I've ever gone on. And I didn't expect that. I expected my family, extended family, my immediate family to rally around us. And uh, both of my parents are passed away and I know that they would have, but um, I expected this rally. Okay. This is how it is. And, and when you're sitting there alone going, you know, where's this, where's this understanding? Where is this? Um, it is hard. But like you said, Holly, you need to find yourself and surround yourself by people that are going to support you and be there for you. And, um, and it might not, like you said, it might not be blood, you know, it just, it just might not be. And hopefully for you, you do have that close support system that is your family. But if you don't, um, you know, and you have to find it somewhere else, that's okay. As long as you have the support system that you need. And don't, I have been actually very public about um, the grief. So, um, you know, I grieved two different ways for my son, Isaac. You're absolutely right. Like the grief and the grief process that I experienced when Isaac got diagnosed 
and then having had to grieve his physical loss were just so similar. I mean, it was there is all of that. There, I'm telling you because I've had to do that with the same child. So, um, you know, it definitely it is valid. And so that's the thing too is I am validating that it is the same grief process when your child you you physically lose your child as well as then also getting that autism diagnosis. So there's no disrespect at all, and don't discount that for sure. So take care of yourself, and and also too, grief process is different. You know, when you're emotionally processing the diagnosis of um, your child and the way and how each person, each parent um, processes that level of grief, because how we processed when Isaac was diagnosed with autism was different how I processed because, again, I was balls to the wall and he was still having to come to terms with it in his own way. And then, too, when we lost Isaac, physically lost Isaac, same thing. Um, so, um, and it takes longer. Like, it takes, you know, um, you know, some people move through those um, phases faster than others um, in both aspects, so. Well, and I think Bonnie brings up a really good point. So, Based on everything that like I've experienced, this is an extremely lonely journey. And you know, you see a lot of these kids that have special needs and they're all on the special Olympics teams and they're all doing track and they're all doing swimming and they're all doing, you know, baseball. And, you know, for Aiden, like that's just not his thing. And so even though I feel like I've been doing this for several years, there is a lot to learn. And so I forced Aiden into all of these sports because I was like, no, you're going to participate. You're going to be in this community. You're going to learn to, you know, rally around people who have, you know, similar disabilities or, you know, and I finally just got to a point. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? This is so exhausting. I'm like, I am literally forcing him into practices that even I don't want to attend. I'm forcing him into all day track meets that are just miserable for, I mean, a normal child. I can't even imagine somebody who doesn't like people very much getting to be in these crowds that are, you know, three, 400 people, and that's overwhelming. And, you know, even though he, you know, performed very well, he was miserable doing it. And yeah. it was when, you know, the principal had asked me, you know, hey, is he going to do track through the school? And I asked him, he's like, well, let me guess, you're just going to sign me up anyways. And I'm like, no, you know what? I don't like doing this either. And so I felt like, you know, I had done something wrong because I wanted him to fit into that special needs box that it was like, you know, okay, we don't fit into the neurotypical box. Let's see if we can fit it in this community doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like, and he didn't fit it in that role either because he wasn't happy. And so he's just happy being by himself and being left alone. And that's another process to take on too, because it's like, we're already feeling like we're isolated and alone. So it's like, how do I get him involved in you know, this community when he doesn't want to be. And, you know, it, I again, it's having grace for myself to be like, well, I tried that. That was a horrible decision. We'll just move on and hopefully find somewhere else he can fit into. Like, yeah. Well, and I think what you're saying, though, too, is that it's fine for you to find your tribe in the special needs community. But if your child just likes to be that they're just more of a, you know, like uh, introvert, I think it's fine, too. You can still find your tribe you know, parents are still able to find that tribe of support, but you don't necessarily have to have your child immersed in that community Absolutely. if that's just not what's comfortable for them. And I think that's totally fine. Anybody want to join a Roblox group? I'm oh happy my to start God. one. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll that just would have be. them all sit next to each other, <laughs> right? right. And not talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> but they would think they were best friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. That's, our best friend. that's our only play dates. Is we're all they're all on tablets in separate corners of the house, but they think they're the bestest friends yep. at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so For true. Sure. 
Go ahead, Chevy. No, I was just going to just kind of touch on, I guess, just realizing, too, I've listened to a couple different um, programs as well, um, but just of, like, changing relationships. You know, I think that's a big thing, too, is, like, when you get a diagnosis and you're kind of at that different spot in your life, that, like, relationships are going to change with other people, and that's okay. Like, I was listening to a mom talk about her experience of, like, you know, she'd hang out with a group of moms that, that kids always hung out. And then she was like, actually, it got to the point where it was like, it kind of was just too painful yeah. because you're, you're, you're at the park with the moms and they're talking about, oh, so-and-so's doing soccer and she's doing ballet and all oh, they're doing so well and like their performance was amazing. Have you seen these pictures from this thing that they did? And you're literally have your running shoes on because your child's probably trying to wander. Yeah on the other side of the park. That's yeah. if and you even get to sit down for two seconds to <laughs> talk to other moms. That's if you get moms. to sit down, right? And you're all yeah. sweaty. And yeah. <laughs> it's not, I got just my car showered today. It's not quite yeah. the same level of connection yeah. with other moms. They've had their cup of coffee and you just got your cardio workout in, <laughs> yeah. right? Right. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, changing relationships, you guys touched on the family and like them not necessarily accepting it the same way or they're not rallying around you the same way maybe you imagined in your head that they would. Um, we're still in, dealing with our family kind of at that rate of like, oh, she's still so little and she's going to get there. <laughs> like, Maybe. She's still yeah. has autism, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure, exactly. <laughs> um, but so we're dealing with that a little bit. But just like the fact that it's okay um, that some of those relationships are going to change, that you are going to make other connections. Yes. And then that's okay. And that yeah. doesn't mean that you're missing out or failing or, no. you know, disappointed in any way. And and I, and I have had to learn that, you know, I, I've got to stop comparing um, my daughter to other children that are her age because it just, it's too much yeah. to even try. Because, yep. you know, we have friends that our daughters were born on the same week, oh. right? Mm -hmm. And so it was very much, oh, we're pregnant at the same time, dated the same, milestones at the same time. You know, her daughter's doing a Beauty and the Beast performance, you know, in a little princess dress, you know, with the flowers. And I'm like, Karen wouldn't even have sat for like the photo, regardless of getting on stage <laughs> yeah. and actually staying with a group and you know, yeah, all of sure. that. So I guess just that advice to yourself of just like, you have to stop comparing. And I feel like as moms, sometimes we have that like stick of like, okay, where, where are we at with this, you know, being, where are you at as a mother? And then where are you at as far as your children? So I think just realizing that you're, you're in a different place yeah. and that's okay. David, I'm going to piggyback on you because I'm going to then um, jump over and talk about what advice I would give to my younger self, and you touched on this one too, is that if I could go into a time machine and go back and have two different conversations, one as the mother, when I um, had just gotten that autism diagnosis with Isaac, um, of course, too, I lost my son, and so there's a lot of things I would like to go back and tell myself. But you touched on it right then and there. When Isaac got diagnosed, I was determined that I was going to take my little square peg and I was going to make him round and fit in that goddamn hole if I, you know, if it would just, I was going to do anything that it took. And um, in doing that, the problem is, is that I missed out on time with my child. And you touched on that in terms of finding where they're at and just being able to meet them at that place. Um, you know, and so every day I woke up and I was trying to figure out a way to try and make that square peg round instead of just enjoying the fact that he was a square and meeting where he was. And, you know, that's something I can't go back and I can't undo um, because I was so stressed out. And, you know, there was, you know, I mentioned in one of the previous podcasts is that um, right before he passed away, I had to have a surgery. And uh, so I was kind of uh, on the couch. And so he was just, um, I wasn't on him 
like I normally would be trying to pull him out of that fog because I just was, you know, sick and my uh, tonsillectomy didn't go very well. Like I said, I joked that I would rather have three C-sections than one tonsillectomy. Um, and so I just had to be on the couch and just let him run amok. And I will tell you, it was some of those beautiful moments are the ones that I remember because I was just letting him be him. And um, those were actually ended up being richer moments than me forcing these teachable moments and trying to get that reciprocal interaction that I was desperate for. Um, and then just allowing him to be him, he was coming up and seeking me out because I wasn't constantly in his face. Um, and those moments were more rich than anything else. And then, um, so I just wasted a lot of time and um, just wasn't delighting in just the person that he was. And I have a lot of regret um, that I didn't capitalize on that more. And so when you mentioned just meeting her where she's at, like, oh, that would be that advice that I would give my younger self is, is find where they are and meet them there. Holly, that's human nature. I know. It just to do that or to try to pigeonhole them into the special needs sports groups because that's what they're all yeah. doing. They need a community. You need to enjoy By this. By God, go, this is what's important to me. By so God, I'm gonna you're going to go enjoy <laughs> this and you're going to yeah. love it. And I am too, yeah. even though we all hate it. Um, and it's just, and you said at the time, you didn't have a community either. No. You were going through it alone. What were you supposed to reference and resource at the time? And we're I wanted so a community. <clears throat> and so I was going to try and get back into the community that I thought we needed to be in, yeah. you know. I have to, I mean, you pretty much pulled the thoughts right out of my head to you're going to be surprised at how your community changes. Who the, the, you're going to be surprised <clears throat> the ones you thought were going to be in your life and stick by you. And I don't, I don't really attribute this to them in any sort of negative way. They might just not have the time or resources to kind of wrap their mind around what you're going through or understanding as opposed to the ones that you just thought of, you know, and they're the ones that kind of rally around you. And that's going to happen. And um, also, it's been said a lot before, but I think it needs to be said on this um, in this particular podcast is, you know, be ready to challenge the medical and educational community in a diplomatic way. But they may have experienced a hundredfold, you know, oh, we've seen kids with autism. We, their experts may be in that sub. You're expert on your child. Yeah. And what worked for every other child, and we had that with a teacher at Morgan School. Oh, we've had, I've had special need kids before. I'm like, well, that's great that you've put this blanket solution on her. However, you <laughs> might experience something different, so we're going to sit here and monitor this, and we'll, we'll be dialoguing whether you like it or not. <laughs> so, yeah, just be prepared to do that. Again, in a diplomatic way to come to an understanding. For sure. Well, also, too, like my advice that I would give my younger self when um, Caleb was diagnosed, I think I, we weren't live, I don't think, when I was commenting that I wrote, when I was starting to see the red flags with Caleb, I wrote autism a letter because I had a lot of emotions to express. And I don't even know how I stumbled upon it here just recently, but, um, you know, like with that, I went straight to rage in terms of that grief process. I went straight to rage um, when I started seeing those um, different the different red flags for Caleb. And um, because I really felt like autism was going to, it was robbing me of another child. Um, and, you know, I, if I could go back and talk to that mom, my younger self with Caleb, is it's, I, I'm not being robbed of anything. And again, it goes back to just delighting in who that person is because Caleb has taught me so much um, in terms of just, you know, seeing the world in a different light. And, um, cherishing the little milestones and those idiosyncrasies that, um, you know, the quirks and the, you know, 
as much as some of the, you know, I share a lot of our stumbling blocks, there's still a lot um, to cherish and love about some of those different things. And so, again, you know, I was so angry and mad because I was seeing it as my, I was being robbed of my child. And, and that's really not really the case, but that was, you know, what my process was at the time. And so, again, some of it is just, um, you know, telling myself, you know, this is going to be, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy journey. It's not going to be an easy ride, but um, it does, I, I truly believe that it has made me a better human being. Um, that, and again, I would have, you know, if you would have told me that all those years ago, I would have just been like, oh, really, how is this going to make me a better person? And it does, though. It really has, you know, again, I think you, you know, stop, you delight, um, you celebrate things that you would have probably been a little bit more immune to, um, and it makes you see things differently, have more patience for other people. Some mm. days, maybe not so much. Um, depends, but, um, yeah, so there are definitely, um, there is good things that will come out of, um, you know, out of the journey. Certainly a lot of the relationships that I've made, um, with some of the amazing people I never would have met, but. And I will say if I had to go back and tell myself something differently, it'd be, I think very much like Bonnie said, you know, it was to grieve that child that I'm not going to have. We still celebrate milestones. They just look a lot different than I ever assumed they And you would. celebrate them on a different timeline. Oh, absolutely. I'm just happy. You know, we celebrated the day that he remembered to change his underwear on his own. Like, big moment right. for me. Or, right. You know, the day he stopped putting his hands down his pants in his classroom. Like, yay, we didn't have to have 60 reminders for that yeah. day. Or yeah. when he stopped talking about, you know very intimate details with complete and utter strangers at the grocery store. I'm like, that's a big moment for yes. us. We're willing to take that win. But mm -hmm. I think if I had to go back and tell myself something differently, it would be fight the battles that I had that spidey sense about. I was so scared about being that friction mom. I didn't want to cause the ripples. And if they said that we needed to go to this kind of counselor, let's do it because that's what they're telling me is the best fit. And we sat through, you know, a year worth of appointments that were a complete and utter waste, waste of, of our time. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I was so scared to fight it. I was so scared to argue it. I didn't want to be labeled as a difficult parent or cause problems for my child. And so, and even with the school thing, I just went with what they said was the best fit because I didn't know any better. And now that I've had a couple years under my belt and I have had to go to bat for IEPs and, you know, I think that was the scariest thing for me. And I, you know, I had a unique situation where I had the principal in my corner telling me to continue fighting, but it was against a teacher who did the exact same thing, who put that blanket label on my child when my child was not that blanket child. Like, he's not your typical special needs. He is extremely high functioning. He's extremely high intelligence, and he just wants to be left alone. He functions best when being left alone, but they want to put him in a restrictive classroom where it's you're not going to be left alone. You're having to micromanage every minute of every single day. And in the beginning, I probably would have never thought that. I would have been like, nope, that's the classroom you say he needs to be in. Let's do it. But now that, you know, I'm older and I've done this longer, I've, you know, I have had to go to bat. And it was scary. It was absolutely terrifying. I remember there was one night where it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go buy a binder. I've never even once looked at an IEP. I don't even know what it looks like. I went and took a class, and it was like, I'm sitting here researching all this stuff. I'm like, I honestly don't even know what's in our IEP. I don't even think I've taken the time to read it because our last school had set us up for such success. And But it was literally, I took one night to just bawl my eyes out and say, I got to get this out of my system, and then tomorrow I can put my big girl pants back on, and I can fight this battle because it's what's best for him. But for tonight, 
I need to just bowl that this crap is really, really hard. It sucks. Yeah. And it sucks. And I felt alone. Like even having a husband that looked at me and was like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. He's like, I can be there, but I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. And I'm like, just having you there as that person to listen to what's going on and be in my second pair of ears. That's all I need. I don't need you to add anything. I don't need you to talk. I don't need you to say anything helpful. I just need you there because I can't be alone with seven people at our school and just me. And I'm the one fighting that battle. Like, I needed that person, but it is. You're going to have those moments, and it's like if I had to go back and do it all over again, I would learn to fight that battle earlier, yeah. to fight that that hard, hard road. And it sucks some days. Like, mm-hmm. that's not a joke. There are days that really do suck, but then there are some really funny things that come up in our days that I'm just like, that's the moment I'm fighting for is then it's, yeah. you know, those funny, sure. funny moments that I can just laugh about and be like, all right, there are some some better days out there, and there are some good things that can come from this. And picking your battles, I think, is really important, too, because I am a very, um, I, I will start conflict if it needs to be started. I'm not scared to go. I mean, that's me. And that's so what I love about Bonnie. She's <laughs> not afraid of a fight, people. And uh, I'll put her phone number in the comment section. Right. And you can call her up if you need someone to come with you to start it. See, Chevy, aren't you glad you got to know Bonnie? Because you're like, wait, we got to fight at IEP. Yeah. Oh, here, we'll let me. all come with yes. you. I, I love yeah. it. We'll and, and, I, and I will say that I always say that underneath my name uh, at school, it probably says bitch. But <laughs> um, I will say that I thought from early on I had to take on every single battle and we're not just talking about school battle family battles Mm -hmm. everything that had to do with our boys and I think that it was so exhausting and um you just realize that you not all those battles you have to take on um some are very very important yes when it comes to school system and things like that but um you know especially with personal relationships and stuff you just you know, you just have to let go. You have to realize that you're you're not in control of everybody else. You're only in control of the relationship that you have um, with your child. And the and your emotional grieving is going to be different, you know. I don't choose to think of the boys' future. It makes me too sad, so I, I deal with every day. But then, st- like the other day, um, my uh, six-year-old said... Uh, do you think it's sad that Evan's not going to ever have any kids? And um, I said, you know, I I do think that's sad, but I think that we've been given an opportunity for him to be a really amazing uncle because he's always going to be that fun uncle that wants to, uh, you know, play with toys with the kids and things yeah. like that. So I think that um, what people don't realize, you get the diagnosis and – it doesn't go away from there. It's a lifelong thing where you have to go. My, both of my boys will probably have to live with me forever. And in some ways, I'm very grateful for that. I get that relationship that, but it, it makes me sad that, you know, they probably won't know what um, loving a girl will be like or getting married or um, those things. And um, it's made me very scared that I have to outlive them. Yeah. Um, so that I know that they're going to get whatever life they need. And I'm sorry. No. <laughs> but you just just know that what as long as you're trying your hardest, you're you're being an amazing parent and you're doing everything that um, you can for those children. And don't let people tear you down or make you feel that you're not. Because you are. And all those little milestones, you celebrate them, you know. Evan didn't say mama until he was six years old, and um, it was the most amazing thing in my life. 
And now, because he's so literal, he calls me Bonnie. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't last for long, but you know what? I, it, it I don't even care. The fact that he can say Bonnie, you know, and yeah. the fact that he's searching out for me. And last year, he decided he finally wanted to sleep in my bed. Well, my son is over 100 pounds, and he's almost 11 years old, and we have no room when he's in there, and we take it. Every night he jumps in there because I didn't get a cuddle with him when he was little. Yeah. And the fact that he rubs my face now and wants to lay next to me, cool. I'll do it till he's 30. I yeah. don't really care. I, I love all those moments, and just celebrate those and um, just know that the other people are going through what you're going through, and it'll be okay. I wanted to <clears throat> jump in on something that was said at the previous podcast, but... Um, you don't have to be a super parent every day. Oh, yeah. Um, they, uh, I was cracking up at the notion that sometimes people are like, oh, you guys are such amazing parents. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Were you there on the day where I just let her sit on her iPad the entire day? And I sat on the couch. <clears throat> and I didn't shit show. care. Because we call those I had top ramen nothing days. left. I just zero guilt. Zero guilt that day. physically resourced. So I had nothing left for her. And those days are going to happen, and those are okay, too. But love is really the biggest thing, too, is that, Absolutely. you know, loving them and um, just, again, delighting on where they are. And some days I'm delighting in the fact that you want to play your iPad <laughs> all day <laughs> long. Absolutely. That's all right for me, but um, for sure. Well, when I first started dating my, my husband, I had to have those difficult conversations that it was like, you need to understand that long term in, you know, 40 years, it's going to be you, me, and Aiden for life. Yeah. Like. This is not a situation where, you know, all four of my kids are moving now and it's just you and I living our golden years. We don't know what empty nest syndrome exactly. is. <laughs> and yeah. so I had to explain to him and it was very much having to have those open dialogues where he's like, yeah, but, you know, when he gets older, he's going to be able to do this. And I'm like, you haven't had the same experience. Let me walk you through what this means. Like, because he very much wanted to empower him to do all these things. And one of our biggest battles we had in the very beginning was medication. He wanted to be able to trust Aiden to take his medication on his own. And I was like, nope. I was like, I'm not going to say no on very many things, but I will 100% say no on this, and here is the reason why. I have been doing this for many years with Aiden, and we went through a spurt where he was hiding his medications or dropping them on the floor, and then he'd go to school, and it's an absolute shit show. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. He took his pills. Oh, look, there's 30 boosts per hidden underneath the cupboard because he wasn't taking them. And it's like, I understand you're wanting to give him some flexibility and freedom to help him you know, grow and develop as a child, but this is not a neurotypical child. Let me explain to you why I do this and why I'm so insistent about the medication and why we're doing this. And it was almost like having to relearn these things with him because it was like, I've already been down this road. Let me explain again why that's one thing I'm, I'm a hard no on. And so having those conversations early to be like, you need to understand what you're signing on for if you continue down this path of dating me or if we get married. This is not you and me for the rest of our lives. This is you and me and Aiden for the rest of our lives. Like, yeah. And so when we started talking about, you know, buying a house together, and he's like, yeah, and, you know, we'll have that third bedroom for Aiden. And I was like, okay, he's got it now. Like, he's understanding. But, yeah. It in, is those In our world, we're planning, I'm planning for retirement for, like, myself and for my child that yes. may have to live. Now, with that being said, it's funny because you say this. I um, was doing a training here in Spokane with um, Spokane Libraries. And I met, um, there was a, there was a, one of the librarians was in the back giggling and stuff as I was doing my presentation. And I was just like, hmm, my gut, my, my mom gut tells me that she lives this life or she has <laughs> lived this life or she has a grandchild with this life. And so at the end we had a nice conversation. And so her daughter is, I think she said 23. Um, and 
she was saying, she says, you know what, here's the thing, you know, like never in my wildest dreams would I ever thought that my child would launch um, because we just, the obstacles that we were having to deal with were just so, just in my mind, insurmountable in terms of being able to live independently. And she says, never in my life would I have imagined the fact that, you know, she has a job and she does live independently. Does she need supports? Yes. Um, but she says, you know, that was the thing. I'm like, you know, I asked the question, you know, if you could go back and, you know, like, give advice to a new parent, would it be? And it's like, you know, don't underestimate your child. Um, because in my world, I was preparing for this child to live with me for forever. And man, I have to tell you, like, I'm just so shocked. And so that's, again, too, um, you don't know what your child is capable of, and, and it's possible. So you shoot for the stars, but you plan for, you, know, you plan for the worst case scenario, right? But you're shooting for the stars and don't underestimate it. Because again, what we're saying too is, is that there's some things that I never thought we would be able to like move beyond and experience, um, you know, like, you know, a situation where we don't have to have this be a constant obstacle, but it is possible. And so, and we'll talk about that more in another podcast because, um, you know, again, it's, you know, shooting for the stars and having the confidence that even despite um, some of their challenges at this point, it is possible to still have them launch. So we'll talk more about that in another podcast. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Does anybody have something that they're dying to throw out there and make sure we um, share our gems with? And again, remember, this is just um, there is just so much you're gonna find I guess it's funny because when you get together and I ask this question of a lot of different parents it's always interesting um, they hear some of the same things and then it's always fascinating too when you have other parents say well here's some advice I'd throw out and it's kind of like oh yeah you know I never even thought about that um, so we'll podcast more on this particular topic but is there anything that I missed um, I think the only thing I would add is that schools are making a lot of groundbreaking work in classes so for Aiden like Math is super, super great for him, but computer programming is where his heart lies. Yeah. And the fact that his school now offers that, has recognized that, and put him in that, I'm like, we might actually have like a pretty good future doing computer programming or 3D printing or things like that. And, you know, back when he was younger, those classes wouldn't have been possible. And totally. so it's getting creative in finding those futures is that is he going to be the kid that's going to go out and be, you know, a teacher or is he going to go out and, you know, want to work with his hands or work with large groups of people? Probably not. But is he going to find like a future in computer programming or gaming or something like that? Most very likely. Possibly. I'm going to say that's very possibly because that's where his excitement level is at. Yeah. Well, and actually we'll, we will have a separate um, podcast on um, if we could actually build a, an actual like um, education for our children with autism, what would that look like? Because um, I... Caleb took part in uh, SBAC testing, you know, like um, the Smarter Balance, you know, state testing. And, you know, I had the option of opting him out, but, you know, I went ahead and just said, yeah, I don't give a crap. Go ahead and take the test. Bomb it because I don't care. It doesn't define <laughs> us, you know. But again, now my younger self, that would have been like, you know, oh, my gosh, we got to, like, teach him again to be that fit in this, like, round um, hole. And so, of course, when it, the test comes back, actually, I was surprised that he was stronger in one area than I would have ever thought. And yet, you know, he had ones on, like, math and some of these other things. And the letter that accompanied the test results was from the principal. And 
Mr. Demarest, if you're listening, God, I love you. And I'm sure it's probably language that you um, probably copy-paste and all the principles set out. But it's basically, you know, this is just a snapshot of how prepared my child is for the 21st century. And I laughed so hard on that because newsflash for you, Mr. Demarest, again, you're a great man and I really like you a lot in all principles. But let's be clear here. I have 10th graders that are neurotypical, and you are not preparing my, any of my children for the 21st century, in part because, you know, I, I am so glad. Like, Caleb in sixth grade is, they're teaching him geometry. Last year in the fifth grade, they were trying to teach him pre-algebra. You know, um, I have 10th graders now, and they're in trig and um, different things like that. Uh, none of my children know how to uh, budget, uh, pay bills, uh, you know, plan for the future, what a retirement is. Like, they were, uh, like, shocked to find out that when you put your money in a bank account, and if you give them a sizable amount of money, like, they actually, like, pay you for that. Like, they were absolutely, because, and, and why is this, are they learning this? Because I'm teaching 21st living skills, 21st century living skills, and, like, how, so, again, when I get this delightful little letter about that this SBAC test is a snapshot of how well-prepared my child is, you know, to, like, live in the 21st century, it's just is like hysterical to me because it's like, let's really actually talk about what it, what education should really be preparing these kids. And it looks a lot of, and very differently. And that's, I guess, my advice for all of you listening is, is that there are all sorts of um, very lucrative um, ways to support yourself. And it doesn't have anything to do with how well your child performs on an SBAC test and um, whether they're typical or not typical. Um, so anyway, we'll, but again, we'll be to pod podcasting on that particular topic. And again, love you, Mr. Demarest. And I'm sure that this is kind of, again, some of the language that they have all, give all principles, but, you know, we really need to start looking at what um, preparing kids all kids, but also specifically kids on the autism spectrum to be productive members of the 21st century because um, I think we have a lot to really evaluate. So, David, you looking at me like, you know, whether we agree. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, I, I think we do. We've talked about a lot of this and, you know, our frustrations in school and what should education look like. So, um, so anyway, I have plenty of advice for parents, you know, when we get to that particular podcast, but. Anyway, so we are going to wrap up this particular episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.